Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Good morning, everybody. My name's Ryan. Um, if you are new to LBCF, I just want to welcome you. Uh, we are going through the New Testament in 2020. And today, as Kathleen mentioned, we're in Titus. Um, not a lot of devotional material you may have heard coming from Titus, but there are a lot of things that that you may have heard that you didn't know was from Titus. And so I'm, I consider it a privilege and an honor to be a part of this teaching team where we have a row of really amazing, gifted, passionate, and talented people um, teaching uh, in our church. And so uh, as Barb mentioned, it's important that we acknowledge the fears and concerns around the fires, the virus, the state of our nation, the upcoming election. There's just so much that I know uh, that you, as well as I do today, we bring that into the room and, and, and know that God sees all of that, and God is is not ashamed of our fear. Um, but we must anchor ourselves in our baptism and in our God, because a hope in anything else, any other one of those situations um, being fixed the way that we would hope that they would, um, a, a hope in any of that is is far too small. And so today. We are in Titus, and so I want to share my main idea before we get to the text, but um, Paul's letter to Titus is a reminder that our Christian lives are lived, um, are, are not meant to be lived in these isolated echo chambers where we just gather a bunch of people that think the way that we think and uh, kind of cheer each other on. It's meant to be lived out there in the world with our neighbors, with people that don't think the same way as us, with our, in our workplaces, in the grocery store, in the public square, all it's supposed to go out and be lived in the world. And the way that we live side by side as people that claim God's name is actually vitally important, not just for our souls, but for that work of the gospel continuing to go out. We see all throughout Titus, Paul mentions like live well, do these things well, because the gospel needs you to live well. The gospel can be hindered by the way that we live. And, and as we see in Jesus's life, uh, it says that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Jesus knew that in order to gain that audience of so many people, um, that the way that he treated people was, was one, yes, because they deserved it, but two, because he knew that in order to earn that audience, people needed to be loved. And so I believe there was a strategic purpose um, alongside that. And we'll see that with Paul too. Um, so in short, this is kind of about the politics of church. And I don't mean politics in the way that, that I feel like it's talked about now, which is a total crazy circus uh, show. Um, politics in its most basic definition is the way that people in groups make decisions. So Paul makes this point by focusing on the Christian household. And also, this is a hint at Paul's missionary strategy, that the church would be an agent of transformation in the world 
not by having a bunch of cultural conflicts and trying to fight with the surrounding culture, and also not by assimilating and just doing everything that the surrounding culture is doing, but through wise participation in the world as renewed people compelled to live like Christ, side by side with our neighbors out there in the world. And so I want to start by reading in chapter three. So this is Titus chapter three. I'm going to be using uh, this old school Bible. Uh, Chapter three, verses three through seven. It says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another but but when the goodness of but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our savior appeared he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the holy spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our savior so that being justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. (sighs) Unprofitable and worthless. Yikes. Um. It reminds me of a story when I was going to seminary. um, This is not a story I'm super proud of, but in a weird way, I kind of am because it was kind of tricky. But um, I was in an Old Testament class and we discovered throughout the course of the year that if we could get our Old Testament teacher talking about his kids or talking about beer, he was a big fan of beer. If we could get him talking about one of his favorite topics, he would get so distracted by talking about it that sometimes it would, we would spend the entire class just listening to him tell stories. So we would, we started to figure this out and we would intentionally try and like drag him into these stories about these other things, because then we wouldn't be held accountable for learning more stuff in class. (laughs) And so it was, it was our way of getting away from what we were supposed to be learning by getting him talking about other stuff. So, um, but as we see here at the end of this reading that just happened, um, Paul ends this beautiful poem with a sharp reminder that so much of our talking about it, talking about our spiritual life, talking about genealogies and these lofty ideas is an actuality hiding from actually doing it. So talking about it often becomes a replacement for actually doing it. Um, And Paul warns against that. And so I want to make sure that as we're talking through this, because I do a lot of talking, um, that we remember that Paul's constant refrain is go do it. Go live this. Go put it into practice. Um, I read a study years ago that was saying that pastors, especially one of the one of the spiritual practices that they struggle with the most is prayer. And so I and pastors I know became become really good at talking about it. We become really good at having the words and then we forget how to do it. 
And so I want to make sure that what we do is not just come up with new ways of talking about our spiritual life, but we see these as actual challenges to go do it. And maybe that's why people are skeptical of the church. Maybe they see a lot of people who aren't smoking what they're selling, you know? Um, but as we've gone through that reading in Titus chapter three, what, um, what Barb read to you, we, congratulations, you've now read 25% of Titus. Um, it's a very small book. And if you have time, you can read the entire thing in 20 minutes. And so I would encourage you to go read the rest of it, because I believe that there are a lot of beautiful encouragements as we look at the context that apply to right now, the, the U.S. church, not just this church off on an island off the coast of Greece. Um, so a little bit of background about Titus. Um, uh, Titus was a Greek Christian who had traveled with Paul, and Paul put him in charge of setting up churches on this island of Crete. And Crete was this big island off the coast of Greece um, and widely known within and from the people surrounding it that Crete was a rough place. It was filled with uh, these hired merc merc mercenaries, and so it was filled with violence, sexual perversion. Um, there were there was a word uh, we've you may have heard the word Cretan. Um, so I. I, I, that word was, was known as being dishonest. And so they were known as being liars. So this is a rough place to set up churches. Um, and I, I think it's important that we talk about context now, but also in all of your reading of scripture, because if we just read what we have in the text as a static or as some sort of comprehensive list, we forget that it's called the living word and living things grow. So for example, if we look at the story of Jesus and the woman of the issue of bleeding, um, and we see that as, as just a simple story of Jesus being compassionate to a sick woman, and we don't pay attention to the context of how radically countercultural and shocking it was that Jesus restored her humanity in that moment, um, and how rabbis would have normally approached that, we would forget that maybe the challenge isn't just to treat sick people with compassion. Because I think that if, if that's enough of a challenge for you, and that's not a a thing that's for sure that we should say obvious to, um, then yeah, maybe that's the challenge you need. But I think it's also asking us, how do we radically counterculturally risk being shocking to restore and welcome in people whose society outcasts? So we, we start asking ourselves some bigger questions when we look at context. And so let's get back to Titus now. Um, I think that it's not just about how do we set up elders and how do we structure ourselves? How do we be self-controlled, which is all very important stuff, but it's not a comprehensive list of behaviors. Um, it draws us into questions like this, like how are we existing in our surrounding culture that allows room for the gospel to go out and do that powerful work? And what are the sins of our surrounding culture? Have we let slip into our Christian lives that muddy our witness or what do we allow us to distract us from what's important? What have we placed our hope in that we shouldn't? Are we talking more about our ideas of faith rather than doing it? So all of a sudden, these questions that this island church 2,000 years ago sound very necessary for us to ask right now. 
Um, because what's at stake for Paul and what I believe is at stake for us too is, is not just your individual holiness. It's not just my individual holiness, but it's whether or not we will live in a way that will allow this life-transforming gospel to go out and do its powerful work. Um, so there's a quote that I read this week that I think calls us to question those areas of this surrounding culture and something that I think we are dealing with right now. Um, and it's a quote by Walter Brueggemann and it's a slide as well. So if we could pull up that slide, it says, for I believe the crisis in the U.S. church has almost nothing to do with being liberal or conservative. It has everything to do with giving up on the faith and discipline of our Christian baptism and settling for a common generic U.S. identity that is part patriotism, part consumerism, part violence, and part affluence. I'm just going to leave that up, and if you need to reread that, you can. But that, for me, really hit home on the identity that we need to be carrying right now in such a contentious time is is not some is not some blend of our U.S. I identity, but it's our identity in Christ being baptized, and we can't settle for something less. So the U.S., like the church in Crete, needed to be reminded of, of we need to be reminded of our true hope, our true allegiance. We have to be reminded into our identity of a continual baptism into a life of Christ, and that frees us to pursue good works, which Paul says is very important. Um, and so I'm going to, I have a lot to say about that. And I know that I can become very heated about that, but I'm going to pause and take a breath. I'm going to get back to Titus. Okay. So Paul is reminding us throughout the entire letter that we're neither animals or angels. We're not animals because we're not just led by our desires. We're not meant to be purely tribal. We're not meant to lack self-control, but we're also not angels to be detached from the human experience, to be faultless, to spend our time thinking about things that detach us from each other. Um, we're not called to be animals. We're not called to just decent behavior. We're called to excellent behavior. In fact, we're called to be holy, but not just for your personal holiness, like we mentioned before, but because that is effective for the gospel in the world. And we can reasonably hope from each other and I, th I think that we're called to, to encourage each other into a standard of life that looks like Christ. Um, and, but we're also not called to be angels. And I think that's what he's mentioning here is that you, allow your mind to not be so distracted from these things that, that we might not have answers for in our lifetime because there are real people living side by side with you right now that need love and care and compassion. And all of these ways of talking about it often, like we had said, distract us from actually doing it. Um, and our and our humanity, our failures, bind us together with one another. But they do something important as well, and it draws us into a continual dependence on the Holy Spirit in our lives. So. Uh, it's it's not meant to have us feel shame because we can't do it perfectly. It's meant to remind us that every day we rely on that good and holy work that Jesus did. That's what Paul's mentioning here. 
in Ephesians 2.10, it says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So that good love, the good thoughts toward you and towards me, the good and free mercy and grace comes long before you do what's right. And yet we are created in Christ for good works, to go out and live side by side with people and do good and put ourselves after them to prefer the other. It's uh, Paul's rallying cry over and over again is this, and this is the next slide. It says, this life is a race. It is work. It's a continued pulling of what we believe about eternity into now. And yeah, that means more self-controlled behavior, but it also means fighting for justice for those that don't have it. Um, and we are called to live like Christ, but that's not what saves us. Christ's work alone transforms hearts and saves our souls. And we have hope in that and depend on that because what we and because we will inevitably inevitably fail at the first part. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. Okay, so great. So now what do we do with this? We know that we're called to do good works. We can acknowledge that, okay, that's not what saves us. What is this calling us to do? So remember what Barb read in chapter two. Um, it, it, it said, he gave his life to free us. So on one hand, we have the call to live as new creatures, and that involves a lot of new behaviors that we need to put on and be transformed so that we can live into them and a lot of old behaviors that we need to put away and then we that we need to allow to die in that baptism every day, um, renewed in our hearts and minds and actions. In the other hand, we have the reality that none of us earns our eternal salvation. But let's not get confused. In this hand, all of those new behaviors that we put on and the old behaviors that we put away is not a list of these bummer restri restrictions of all these fun things. It's an invitation into freedom from bondage. And that is eternal life now. That's pulling into how we will be called to live eternally now. And I think that's why it's called eternal life and not life after death. Because when you think about it, the word eternal starts whenever you embrace it. It's not something later. And so I believe that we are called to live in that eternal life right now, to put on those behaviors that we want to see, that we would want to exist in a world that, that exists forever. And we put those on now. So I'm going to reread this passage in Titus while we ask ourselves these questions, because I don't have the answers for exactly how you should put this into practice. I think there's a lot of different ways that depending on where you live your faith in the public square, what you are called to, what you're challenged to, there may be something you need to put on or something you need to take off, but I want to have some questions up on the screen while I read the passage one more time. And I'm going to read this slowly. And I would ask you, open your heart to where God would have you um, be renewed, um, renewed in how you treat others, renewed in how you, what you believe his thoughts toward you are, renewed in where you place your hope. So there are questions up on this screen now. And the questions are, how more like Christ can I live this week? Who more like Christ can I love this week? And where have I placed my hope? And I, and let's 
open our ears and our hearts to what Christ would be telling us. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. So let us be the church who lives with self-control, pursuing good works, loving our neighbors, and never detaching ourselves from our calling to be in the world. And let us be the church that gladly and openly cries for God's grace and mercy, being thankful for his saving work. And as Barb mentioned at the beginning of the day, um, we are also going to be taking communion. So along with baptism, one of our ongoing reminders of this life in Christ, where we put to death our old ways and take on a new way, and we actually let it become a part of us, that we become a new creation, that we become new people. One of the other ways that we do that is through communion. Communion is not just a recalling of the events of his life and death for us, but as a renewed calling of his life in us as it becomes inseparable. Um, I remember hearing once that it said, Jesus came not just to die for us, but to show us how. And when we take in communion, we, we, we call and we actually believe that Christ in us and us in him so that his life can be inseparable from ours. And so if you have your communion elements, um, I'm going to read from Luke 22, 19 um, through 20. It says, Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So if you have your bread elements, you can take that now. Mine is sourdough bread. <laughs> and he did the same with the cup after supper saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the, is the new covenant in my blood. So if you have your juice element or your delicious black coffee, you can take that and remember Christ's work. Mm. Lord, Thank you for all of the beautiful ways that you call us into an identity of um, 
laying our lives down to be renewed people, living out in the world, not ignoring the surrounding world, that we can fight for justice and goodness because you call the shots, you call our marching orders, Lord, that we don't need to wait for our favorite politician to tell us that we can. Help us to be renewed and to live into that that uh, that uh, adoption that we talk about at LBCF, that we are adopted and that we are now heirs. Help us to remember that, Lord. Help us to be renewed in where we place our hope.